Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Well, thank you all for joining us here this evening for this special episode. This is the last of our hiatus programming. We return next week to kick off the spooky season and your season 16 with the terrifying Trucker Tales special part 2. And I promise you won't be disappointed. But forget about all that, at least for now. Because I have something a little different lined up for you this evening. This is one of those rare occasions where I'm joined by a guest. But before I introduce her, however, a few quick announcements. First, if you have a story you would like to share, simply call the hotline at one 888 night that's one 608 nighd And lastly, Sarah placed a reorder on that brand new Halloween design by artist Adam Parnell Deal. So keep an eye out on our social media for that announcement. I'm sure Nick is printing them as I speak. Hi, Nick. Now, with all of that out of the way, please welcome tonight's guest. She's one half of the paranormal program, Let's Get Haunted, and a fellow SoCal resident, Allie Terry. Welcome to tonight's program. Well, welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here this evening. Thank you so much, Derek. I'm really excited to hear some of your listeners' spooky experiences. Well, I'll tell you what, I've lined up some calls that are specifically geared exactly for you. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Oh, wow. I'm very excited. Now, before we get started, I do want you to tell us about Let's Get Haunted. Uh, Tell us about uh, the show and your partner that's obviously not with us here this evening. Definitely. Well, first of all, we're very, very honored to be doing this crossover. For your audience that doesn't know, Derek came on an episode of Let's Get Haunted this month, so you can check him out on our show as well. But we're actually very big fans of Monsters Among Us, and a lot of our listeners listen to you guys, and so they recommended you to us over the years, and definitely have a lot of respect for what you guys do. I love radio call-in shows. Let's Get Haunted is a little bit different in that it is more narrative-based. So it's going to be Nat, my co-host, and I swapping stories um, once a week. Our episodes go live at midnight on Wednesdays. And in the month of October, we're doing some um, similar in the vein of what you guys do. On Fridays, we're having some of our listeners tell in their own voice some of the stories they've written into us over the years. But our normal episodes are going to be about an hour to two hours in length. Um, We're a little bit of a long form media. 
And it's just us talking to each other about spooky stuff that we've researched that week. So topics can range pretty wildly. Um, Some examples of things that we've covered in the past are historical mysteries. So we've covered the ghost blimp of World War II. We've talked about um, the Donner Party disaster. We've talked about the Battle of Los Angeles. And then we also cover some lighter stories. So we'll do some internet urban legends from time to time, paranormal games that you can play with friends. And one of my favorite things to cover is regional folklore. So we've talked about Selkies. We've talked about La Llorona. We've talked about El Juego del Libro Rojo. We've talked about a lot of really different, interesting regional um, folkloric episodes. And I think those would be my favorite. But for anyone interested, you could find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Let's Get Haunted. And it's a lot of fun. Sarah and I listened on the way to Vegas uh, last week. The Meat Shower from Kentucky is one of the episodes we checked out. And I love that story. Uh, just it's so good. Matt did a great from job. The sky. <laughs> yeah. And she in that episode, we always try whenever possible to get interviews with experts in the field. So for an example, we did an episode earlier this earlier this year on Afghan folklore, and we had an Afghan anthropologist come on the show in addition to an Afghan refugee talk about her oh, experience wow. um, with different hauntings before she left the country. Um, and so that we try whenever possible, yeah, to get experts in. In that episode, Meat Rain that you're talking about, Nat actually got a professor who had found the original sample of this weird mystery, goopy rain had fallen down on a town and uh, a sample of that rain had been preserved in a jar and kept at a university. And this person that came on the show was a professor at that university, had heard the story, heard the legend, and decided to go into this old storage unit where, I mean, there were hundreds of different boxes, dusty boxes with different things. And he ended up finding that original specimen. Now, who knows how well preserved it was, which he talks Mm -hmm. about on the show. But he went and brought it to a laboratory and had it tested to figure out what the heck was this weird meaty goop that fell from the sky. And uh, to hear the results of that, I'm sure they have to tune in, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you guys want to know more, you just got to Google meat rain. Let's get haunted. Yeah, let's let's not spoil it for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but that was a, a great episode and a great, uh, a great story to cover. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here with us because I have some stories I've been dying to play and they just kind of like Slumdog Millionaire. They all just kind of fall in line with your history here. Because the way we do this, we have a little questionnaire that everybody comes on and fills out mm. so that I can kind of make connections with some of these stories. Now, longtime listeners know that I don't have guests on the show all that often. So when I do, it's uh, kind of a special occasion. So I get kind of excited about, uh, you know, comparing some of these stories. So what do you say we dive right into it? Absolutely. I can't wait. Well, we're going to start. This is kind of like uh, I always joke, what was that old show, This Is Your Life or whatever from the 60s and 70s, where they would kind of go through a person's life and bring people back that they knew years ago. I'm not going to do that. I don't know anybody you knew from years ago, but I do have some stories that correlate <laughs> with your history. So I'm going to start with, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us where you live or where, or where you were from, I, I guess is more uh, more important here. Yeah, sure. So Nat and I met in college in Los Angeles. That's how we know each other. Um, but I'm originally from Ventura County, California, which is uh, much smaller than Los Angeles. It's more of like a rural agricultural community. And I actually still today work on a farm. That's my day job. So oh, wow. I and so I hope maybe you have some Ventura stories planned. I don't know. I don't want to spoil. Maybe you have some ag stories because that's <laughs> Ventura. Maybe some beach stories. That's what we're known for. We're like a small beach farming community. 
and um, hopefully I have some some life experience or some personal stories I can interject when uh, when I listen to these. But I'm very excited. Yeah, Ventura is kind of between uh, Santa Barbara and like Malibu, right? It's right there along the yeah. coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a yeah. couple campgrounds there that I've that I've been to. Well, coincidentally enough, that's exactly what I have is a call out of the the town or the area, at least, of Ventura, Ventura County. Let's call oh, it that. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get started. So I'm going to go ahead and share this anonymous call from Ventura County. Perfect. Hi, Derek. I'd like to remain anonymous. So I just wanted to call you right now because I'm sitting here at my window in the Ventura County mountains are right in front of my window and um, I just I don't I I don't even know how to tell you but I just saw a sphere probably must have been like five inches round I don't know how to say that like a sphere and it came behind the mountain like it launched up and it was just going up up the mountain and I was I, I mean I was I couldn't believe what I was seeing because why would a sphere come out of a mountain in Ventura County in the daytime? But I couldn't get my phone fast enough to take a picture or record it. I sit here on my desk all day. I'm going to keep continuing to see uh, if I see another one. Anyways, Derek, uh, thanks for all the work you do. I love hearing your stories and everybody's stories. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Well, first of all, thank you, caller, for sharing the story. And Allie, if you don't mind, have you ever seen anything strange in Ventura? Have you seen a, a, a silver sphere floating in the sky? Ventura is really interesting because, as you pointed out, it is halfway between Santa Barbara and Malibu. And off the coast of Malibu, there is actually rumored to be, at least in the Ventura local folklore that we have in our county, off the coast of Malibu, there's rumored to be an underground alien base. And so people do often see, I don't know about spheres, but people often see UFOs in the sky over Ventura. And it's just thought to be because we have a air and naval base in Port Wyneme. And then we're also very, very close to Malibu, where there's supposed to be this underground base for aliens. And I am obsessed with extraterrestrials. I love aliens. Maybe some of your listeners have been following closely the congressional UAP hearings that we just had. Pretty historic. Yeah, pretty historic moment in our nation's history. And um, for those who maybe are listening that are bilingual, like most of us here in Southern California, I also watched the Mexico UAP hearings, which were very interesting. Mexico congressional UAP hearings. Um, now that was more informal. Paper mache aliens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, Nat and I were kind of joking after watching that because it just looks so ridiculous. Those little paper mache aliens, and we were yeah. like, I wonder if that's why our government is so keen on keeping aliens from us, though. Maybe be- they just look stupid as fuck, <laughs> and they don't want us to know. <laughs> it's very possible. Anybody that hasn't seen these things, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. But essentially, if you've seen the movie E.T., you know when he uh, gets really sick and he, he's laying in the creek and they find him laying there dying? That's what these things look like. They're all white and mm-hmm. uh, powdery and, and they They're don't gross. look good, whatever they are. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, look pretty gross. They and they also look very uh, fake. I'll just say the word fake. Mm-hmm. Special effects. 
yeah, like you said, there is supposedly an under underwater base just off the coast of the, the Malibu area, the uh, Channel Islands, uh, Catalina Island, that whole region there. And there's, have you ever seen this where uh, people point out the Google Maps terrain under the ocean there? There seems to be some sort of structure under there. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty strange thing that people are correlating with these USOs, these UFOs that fly in and out of the water. It's it's super interesting to to consider that something like that could be hiding just off the coast of well, essentially Los Angeles. I mean, that whole you know greater Los Angeles area. Yeah, definitely. It's insane to think that something like that could be hiding just a few miles away from all these people. But that's exactly what people are suggesting, and that's what the evidence seems to point to. Yeah, it's incredible. I love stories like that. I I love anything that hits close to home that makes you really feel like, wow, if I just look out into the ocean or if I just look up in my backyard at the sky, I might be able to see what this caller called in about because it's in my area. Yeah. And I think that's something cool about your show as well, because people call in from all over. So I'm sure your listeners, even if they're not calling in, have encountered at least one story that's near their backyard, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, if, for people that aren't familiar, a USO is an um, unidentified submerged object, whereas a UFO would be an unidentified flying object. And UFO has kind of like fallen out of fashion. So now to kind of encompass all of those things together, it's unidentified anomalous phenomenon. So whether it's in the air or in the water, it's all kind of thought to be the same phenomenon. And Malibu's supposed to be a hotspot. Yeah. Well, speaking of hotspots, are there any legends out of the Ventura area that are specific to like one flap of sightings or one particular UFO that was seen? Not necessarily the idea that the coast could harbor all these things, but something specific to that area? That's a good question. I actually am pretty sure I saw a UFO um, at oh, the end okay. of last Story year. Time. Story time. Yes. <laughs> It's it's a little bit, I don't know. Well, I'll just give it to you. You tell me what you think. So at the end of last year, I was kind of in a crunch time with work. So I was definitely feeling really stressed out at the time. Um, could have just been, you know, I know sleep disturbances go hand in hand with, with being stressed out. So mm-hmm. if there are any skeptics in the audience, I'm aware of the skeptic point of view. I'm just going to tell you what I experienced. You make of it what you will. So I was I was really stressed out. I work a day job. Since I work in agriculture, when you're at peak harvest season, I could be pulling like 14, 16 hour shifts every day of the week. And so it was one of those times we were in peak pepper harvest. And I also at night record Let's Get Haunted with my co-host Natalia. And so I was having this full day of working, like really struggling to get any sort of meaningful sleep. And on my way home one night from the studio where Nat and I record, I see this strange green glowing spherical object in the sky, but I wouldn't describe it as as like a solid object. It seemed more of like a glowing light. Hmm. And as I got closer to it on the freeway, I was just staring up at it and I just got this weird, weird feeling. And I got off of the highway and I'm park my car and I'm looking up at it and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be like that person on r slash UFOs that tries to submit a video and it's all shaky and out of focus. And you're like, all right. Yeah, right. So I just, I started filming it and now I have so much sympathy for people that do post those (laughs) shaky videos because 
My iPhone, like generation seven, could not handle what I was seeing. But it was just kind of sitting there, sitting there totally static in the air. It was definitely really there. It was green. It was too close to be a star, but too far away to really make out any distinct features about it other than that it was green and glowing. And that particular night, the winds in our area were so strong that I could Mm -hmm. actually feel them pushing my truck around on the highway while I was driving home. And this object was totally unaffected, just hovering there, hovering completely silent above a strawberry field. And so I'm just sitting there staring at it. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And in agriculture, we often can have like these low flying, um, like crop dusting planes that'll come and they'll spray something onto plants. But that's not what this was. It was just hovering, totally silent, definitely not a blimp, definitely not a helicopter. And after staring at it for a little bit, I, I mean, what can you really do at that point? You try to film it, but quality is sh- And you've got to go home. It's late. And I had work early in the morning. So I left and I went home. And right when I got home, my mom texted me. And she said to me, she also lives in Ventura. She was like, hey, there's this really, really giant, creepy owl that has just landed in front of our house. And it's just staring at the front door and it's bizarre. There's not really owls in our area. My mom's in a heavily populated part of the county. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's super weird, like really interesting, really pretty. And for those who don't know, there's this weird connection between aliens and owls that some researchers have pointed out that owls seem to be sort of tied into the paranormal. So it was sort of a weird coincidence. And I go to bed and I wake up in the middle of the night. And my whole room is just awash in this green glow. And I have this um, high ceiling window up towards the corner of my ceiling. And I just glanced up out of it. And I could see, again, this bright green glowing sphere above my window. And then I, I mean, again, what do you do? So I just eventually went back to sleep. But I just had the most uneasy feeling the whole time. And the next morning when I woke up, I immediately texted my co-host Natalia and a couple of my friends just being like, hey, what do you guys make of this weird series of coincidences? So I don't know, just a, just something for your uh, listeners to ponder on. But yeah, Ventura is supposed to be kind of a hot spot. Well, the fact that they were both green is certainly telling. You know, there's some sort of possible connection there because of the color. Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I'm also aware that sleep paralysis is a thing. But I will say I was not paralyzed at all. So if I was having some sort of weird dream state. I mean, I was definitely awake and able to move around at the time. Well, you touched on it a bit, but there are a lot of correlations between owls and alien abductions, specifically. Uh, Mike Cleland is an author that, that does a lot of work in that, if you want to research that a little further. So maybe there was some sort of alien connection. And So maybe there was some sort of alien connection. And weirdly enough, I was going to save this call for later on in in the broadcast here, but I think it fits better right now. So we're going to call an audible a bit here, and I'm going to play a different call for you that I think might make you question your experience just a little bit more. Oh, I love it. This call was sent in by Jen from up in Canada. Hi, Derek. This is Jen from Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada. I wanted to tell you about something that happened to me 
About nine years ago, when I was about 19 years old, I watched the movie The Fourth Kind. If anyone remembers, it was a movie about a woman who was abducted by aliens. And the way that the movie was portrayed was they would play clips of so-called real-life recordings alongside the acted recordings of what was happening to her. So it was portrayed that this had actually happened to her and they were reenacting those scenes alongside of it. So at the time, I believed that this was a true story and that all this had actually been caught on tape, the aliens and the abductions and whatnot. And throughout the movie, she would wake up at 3.33, see the classic owl, and that's when she would be taken by whoever was taking her. So the night that I watched The Fourth Kind, I woke up at 3.33. I couldn't move my body. I was trying to scream, screaming for my parents, couldn't. I felt as though the aliens knew I knew their secret. They were telling me to keep my mouth shut or they would come for me. I, I, I was in complete and total fear and panic for about one minute. And eventually it stopped and I went back to sleep after being terrified. Six months later, I saw my first documentary about sleep paralysis, and I realized that that's probably what I'd went through. So, you know, wrapped that up, put away in a box, and that experience is uh, explained. Well, perhaps two years later, I was talking to someone I'd just met. I believed he lived in the province somewhere else, and we were talking about movies and aliens and started talking about the movie The Fourth Kind and he told me that the night he watched The Fourth Kind that he woke up at 3.33 and was paralyzed and terrified and couldn't scream or move and had the same sensation that he was being watched or talked to by these aliens. So I would completely put this story off to just sleep paralysis until I heard that someone else had experienced the exact same thing I did after watching that movie. So my question is to fellow listeners, have any of you experienced sleep paralysis after watching The Fourth Kind? It truly disturbed me, and I wonder if there's something to it. Later found out that the, the movie is completely fictional, but I just wonder if there's something about the movie that makes people have sleep paralysis after watching it. Thanks so much for listening. Good night, everybody. Stay spooky. Ooh. Well, thank you, Jen, for sharing the entry. Uh, you know, it's, for me, I know what sleep paralysis is, and it's a medical issue that causes people to hallucinate, blah, 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 we all know. But, a big but here, is there some sort of connection with aliens? Like, uh, And I ask this because if I were an alien and I was coming to Earth to abduct people, what a perfect screen. Mm. You know, there's some sort of medical issue that explains it all away. You could do whatever you want, and they kind of remember, they kind of don't remember. On paper, it's the perfect way to hide these abductions. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. I, I know you're an alien person. You you enjoy, you know, uh, UFOs, aliens, uh, creatures like that. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, could that be the scenario? And if if so, how terrifying would that be? 
absolutely terrifying. You know, what's interesting is for as much as I love aliens, I've actually never seen the fourth kind. So now I'm thinking when I go home tonight, I might watch it and do a little exper- experiment and I'll report back to you via email if I Brilliant. experience sleep paralysis. But Better yet, call I, into the hotline and we'll just throw yeah. it right in right here. Perfect. I will do that. I will do that. But yeah, I, I, I feel really fortunate in that I've never had the paralysis part of sleep paralysis. I've definitely had moments where, you know, maybe you have a really bad nightmare and you wake up and you have that moment of panic where you're like, am I still asleep? Am I awake? But I've never experienced that terrifying inability to move that so many people describe. And I'm very fortunate. I feel very fortunate for that. I I could see that would be a really interesting way as an alien to interact with the humans that you're living amongst because that's something that's been debated for a long time, right? Like, why would they be here if they are? Mm-hmm. What would be so appealing about observing us or interacting with us? And a lot of people think, well, maybe it were some sort of human zoo, right? Maybe it's like a time travel trip to the past that's part of their educational <laughs> curriculum, or maybe their scientists want to come back and, and just observe us in the same way that we might go to an uncontacted Amazonian tribe and, and from a distance want to watch and learn without interacting. That could definitely, I don't know, it's one of the most common hypotheses that I've heard. Yeah. So it could be that, you know, maybe they're they're aware of this movie and perhaps people that watch it, they think, well, now they've gotten an intro and it's the perfect cover story because if they wake up tonight, they're just going to think that they've been freaked out by this movie they watch. Yeah, so we're exactly. going to swoop in and do whatever we need to do. <laughs> I don't, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. I will say I want to be abducted so bad. <laughs> I <laughs> that's really the first do. time I've ever heard that, I think. Yeah, I mean, be careful what you wish for, right? But as long as they're not going to do anything nefarious to me, I would love to just be teleported up into a a spaceship. I don't know. Just something about that is appealing to me. And I've heard so many stories over the the years doing uh, our show where, you know, people have said, that, oh, maybe they had an illness or maybe they had a broken bone and then they get teleported up into this UFO and they when they're back down to earth, they suddenly don't have that ailment or that injury anymore. So I definitely would love to, you know, be injected with some sort of uh, everlasting life or, or, I don't know, good health, some cure of good health. I would love that. Magic alien serum of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with that is that does sound great, but the problem is... Almost every story I've ever heard also involves nefarious activity, you know. Yeah, you're right. Probing, yeah. poking, you know, who knows what. It's never a pleasant experience, it doesn't seem like. So uh, good on you for being brave enough to want to experience that. But uh, I don't know if that's the right move or not. Well, you know, maybe the aliens are just Silicon Valley tech bros that are trying to <laughs> infuse themselves with, like, children blood or whatever did you see that story there's some guy in did not no. silicon valley who's using his son's blood to make him younger allegedly um oh. i don't know so there's all sorts know? of problems with that i think <laughs> right oh definitely some ethical moral problems but yeah maybe the aliens are just some tech bros that that want to get our blood for something i don't know that that's a joke i hope nobody takes that seriously that would explain a whole lot wouldn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, you know, I, I have had sleep paralysis, and uh, for me, it happens when I travel, you know, when I'm sleeping someplace mm. strange. 
and it's never aliens. It's uh, the quick setup is uh, I get a phone call. I need you to come help me. We're being uh, haunted. We're being possessed. Or, you know, there's some entity oh, in our wow. house. I need you to come help us. So like the exorcist priest, I go show up at their house. It's at a farmhouse in like Iowa or something. It's in the middle of a cornfield. Same place every time. And they're like, it's in here. It's in here. And they lead me to the middle of the house and they open a closet above their staircase. And as soon as they open it, this demon's face just comes flying out and it sends me right into sleep paralysis every single time. It's the same dream every time. And it just screams at me. And I try to scream back at it. I try to like hit it. I try to do things. I can't do anything. I, in the dream, I'm paralyzed. And then that's when Sarah usually shakes me awake or, you know, gets me out of it. Wow. So it's a recurring dream. That's really interesting. Like 20 times probably. If once. <laughs> is there anything you can relate that to? Like, have you had an experience similar to that in real life? Or do you think no. it's a premonition? Or is it a manifestation Oof. of some worst fear? Uh, it's not even a worst fear, really. But premonition, that just kind of made the hair in the back of my neck stick up a little bit. <laughs> because maybe it is. You know, maybe it is something that's going to come true someday. And it's, it's, it's pretty terrifying. So I hope not. Yeah. I mean, I hope not, too, for your sake. But... I don't know. I mean, if you're ha- if you've had it 20 times, I'd be interested to know if it ever happens to you in real life because maybe yeah, maybe this is a practice round and each time you're learning something new about how to handle the situation. Well, each time I fail miserably, so let's hope it's not a test of some sort. 30th times a charm. That's, That's what I've heard. Oh, I don't want to do 10 more of that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, pa- I'll pass. Well, uh, let's let's transition here because I have a whole lot of calls to get through, so I don't want to harbor on one too long. But in the questionnaire, you mentioned that you're a big fan of La Llorona. That's uh, factual, right? Yes. What is it about La Llorona that you like? I love Mexican folklore in particular. And I know La Llorona transcends different countries. But Mm -hmm. in Mexico, just outside of Mexico City, there's a place called Xochimilco. And it's a really, really interesting ancient farming agrarian community that's built. It's it's. It's called like floating farms because they have this canal system and then these different patches of land that were constructed, you know, thousands of years ago. And on that land, people still today farm. And that location, Xochimilco, is one of the areas that La Llorona is thought to live and in fact, every single uh, year around Halloween time, around Dia de los Muertos, they have these productions on the canals that people can go watch of La Llorona. So I love that story. I love regional folklore. I, I hope you've got something queued up in that vein. Oh, I, I do. But before we hit that, that's where the Island of the Dolls is as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thought to be one of the most haunted islands in, uh, well, one of the most haunted locations, rather, I should say, in Mexico City. And these these floating patches of, of earth were created by the Aztec, is that is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, some pretty amazing history there, for sure. Even if you're not interested in ghosts, definitely some really interesting ancient history. Battles, a lot of death has happened there. And I mean, depending on what your listeners believe about life and death, I'd On our show, I definitely am one of those people that think that if something significant happens in a location, I do believe that some piece of that can imprint on the land. So I think that's one of the reasons why I love Xochimilco so much. I would love to go there one day. Yeah, sounds like I do too, after after hearing all that. (laughs) Well, I actually do have a La Llorona story for you. Uh, This one comes from here in California and was submitted by Michelle. 
Hi, it's Michelle again from San Francisco. I just wanted to follow up. I've been binging your podcast for a while, and I know there's been a lot of mention of La Llorona. And I just wanted to follow up with the fact that when we were kids, La Llorona was a very cautionary tale for us. When we were little kids, my aunt and my mom and all her cousins and all my cousins, we have a big family in Tucson, Arizona. We would all gather around and they would tell stories, scary stories, ghost stories, you know, sitting around the kitchen table. And one of the stories was about La Llorona. And basically, at this point in my life, quite a few years later, I realized it was cautionary to keep us kids inside the house at night because, you know, if you go wandering around outside by the washes and, you know, there could be flash floods, there could be all these things and you could just be, you know, washed away or disappear. Anything can happen out in the desert. So... One important part of La Llorona's story that I haven't heard anyone mention, and it might have just been my cousins trying to scare the heck out of me, but something important was that you would hear moaning and crying, of course. La Llorona is the crying woman. You'd hear her crying, but you also hear her saying, Mis hijos, donde están mis hijos? Which means, my children, where are my children? And if she caught you out there, she would take you because she would think that you were her children. So, you know, one of her children. So that was very scary. And if you've ever been out in the desert at night, there is sometimes wind and, and it howls and it sounds like it's moaning, like a moaning woman. So, yeah, we believed it and did not venture too far from the ranch house. One other story that I do remember just one part of, and maybe somebody else will remember what the actual story was. And if I ask my mom or my cousin and they tell me the story, I'll call back with that story. But the basic scary part of it at the end was mis tripas. Donde están mis tripas? Which means, I guess, my intestines. Somebody was killed and his intestines fell out. I don't know the story. But that was another thing that scared us to death. And again, with the howling wind in the desert during the winter time, sometimes you just, little kids hear lots of things and there's lots of scary noises and there's howling coyotes and, and things like that. Everything's going to snatch away the children. So yeah, we stayed close by and we were very scared. Okay, that's it, and I will have other stories for you, and if I do hear the story about the insides or my innards or my tripas, I will let you know. Thank you. Thanks for the podcast, and um, I just love it, and I will be calling back soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, well, we all know La Llorona. We all know that story, and I've played dozens of them on the show here over the years. But what about that second call? Are you familiar with that one at all? Have you ever heard any, anything? Uh, my Spanish is just as bad as my English, so I, I can't repeat what she said. But uh, my intestines are my insides, uh, the English version. Uh, have you ever heard of that? What is what is that? I've never heard of that. Um, tripas is also a delicacy, though, for anybody that... Um, <laughs> it, some people, you know, maybe in Scotland, I know that there's... I believe haggis is also... Haggis, yeah. Yeah. But tripe, tripe would be the English translation of tripas. Okay. 
And okay. so they're, yeah, they're related. And so you can eat tripas. But yeah, if somebody was, oh man, if there was a ghost just wandering around going, mis tripas, that would be, that would be horrifying. <laughs> I would be absolutely terrified by that. I have not heard of that before, but La Llorona is so interesting as an archetype and as a cautionary tale and as a like possibly real cryptid or spirit the idea of her like coming out of of a lake or a canal system or a river and then just dragging children back in because she mistakes them as her own is such like really chilling imagery oh i just love it so much now, I was an adult before I ever heard of La Llorona. I grew up in Ohio, in Appalachia, as far away from any of this as possible. Uh, so it doesn't have the same effect on me, but it does, the cautionary part does. There were plenty mm-hmm. of stories about that, you know, in Appalachia that correlate, you know, don't go outside after dark or don't go to this place, don't go to this cave, stay out of this body of water. And they all had reasons, you know, they were underlying uh, warnings and the stories essentially just to, to keep kids out of these places. So the the effect is certainly there, but the the specific details just don't resonate with me the same way they do with other people. But that doesn't change the fact that it's terrifying. You're right. If I heard that in the middle of the desert uh, at night, Oof. I'd especially get back in the truck and get out of there. Oh, definitely. Especially because the desert doesn't really have any water. So now you're not safe anywhere, right? <laughs> exactly. Where is she or coming from? the wrong from? time of year, there's tons of water and you're in trouble there. Oh, too, that's so. true. Flash floods. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that brings a whole new perspective. Is La Llorona also traveling in flash flood waters? Ooh, the flash that. La Llorona. That's oh. the last thing we need. <laughs> she moves yeah, at the speed of sound. Right. Well, also, La Llorona, it's interesting you picked this one as well because she has been spotted in Ventura County. Oh, really? Yes. So for those who aren't familiar with Ventura County, super quick history lesson. The land has pretty much always been in agriculture, unless you go back, you know, far enough before the Spaniards and and Mexicans came up. But starting in like the 1700s, the land was primarily occupied by the Chumash and by Californios. So Californios would have been colonizers from Spain and also the Mexican government, once it declared independence from Spain, had these incentives set up. They wanted more Mexicans to move out to Ventura County. So they were kind of gifting this land to Mexican citizens to move in there. And so this idea of La Llorona is definitely ingrained in in the culture there, especially in the agrarian communities. And I don't know if we have time, but I can just tell you really quickly a a spooky story that happened on one of the ranches I work on. Now, I don't know if this was La Llorona or not, but I was working on a piece of land that at that time was growing industrial hemp. And a lot of people mistake hemp for marijuana. And so because of that, even though there's no THC in hemp and it's just used for like clothing and ropes and textiles, despite that, a lot of people will try to break into hemp farms because they think they can smoke it. A lot of disappointed people, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure, you know, well, the placebo effect's very real. So maybe maybe they do (laughs) trick themselves into thinking they're high, but definitely you can't get high. Sorry, kids. So we would have to have on these pieces of property, 24 hour surveillance. And in Agland, that's pretty rural. You can't have 
cameras because there's just no, there's a lot of time there's no cell service. You're communicating via radio. You can't get internet out there. So you have to have people, um, security guards out there about 24 hours a day. And the night shift, we had two people working the night shift on this piece of property I was working on and they quit suddenly with no explanation. And so my job was to go run down because I'm bilingual. So I'll run down and figure out like, why did this person quit? And, you know, how can I make them stay? And they told me that at midnight on one of their night shifts, on the last night of their night shift, they were driving around in this little four wheeler and on this very neatly stacked pile of irrigation pipe in a pyramid shape that a a human would not be able to scramble up they came upon a woman dressed all in white with flowing black hair just sitting quietly at the very top of this irrigation pipe pyramid. And she was kind of glowing in the light, the moon's hitting off of her. I mean, just like a movie, just like the La Llorona legend. And this is a really rural part of the county. So there's only one two-lane highway. There's no houses. To get out there, you would have to walk it would be just a pain in the butt. You wouldn't want to do it. And so they were kind of already taken aback by the fact that there's somebody there that's not supposed to be there. And they called out to her and she just didn't react at all. She was just sitting on top of this irrigation pipe so serenely with the wind blowing. And then they just left. They left immediately after she didn't respond to them and never came back to work ever again. So then my job was to go find somebody else to do this work. And that person left and told the exact same story, not knowing that the previous security guards had told the exact same story to me. So, you know, eventually I did find someone that worked that job and stayed. And as far as I know, they never saw anything weird, but pretty crazy. And so some people, there were kind of like whisperings at our, at the company I was working at at the time saying, could it have been La Llorona? Like there was a a wash, as the caller said, there was a wash nearby. So could she have crawled out from there? Who's to say? Wow. Wow. Well, my first thought is get a trail camera and set that thing up toward that irrigation stack, irrigation pipe stack. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great idea. We got to see what that is. And uh, yeah, I just wonder if, if it's ever seen again, you know, if years down the line, maybe it's a certain time of year that this thing appears or certain mm-hmm. weather conditions or something like that. And it's just waiting to, to resurface again. I'm going to have to go back to my HR report from that year and see, <laughs> see what see time what of year it was. It was. Yeah. Sometimes that stuff lines up. And I, I discovered that doing this show, uh, I hear a call. I'm like, oh, what can I compare this to? How can I ground this story? And I just start digging for details. And I'm so amazed every time all these things that correlate, all these things that seem to, uh, at, at best, be a, a coincidence, you know, at worst, be some sort of telling sign that this stuff might be real. And it yeah. seems to happen more often than it doesn't. I agree with that. Yeah, we just had a story about time travel in the UK. And then um, I was had somebody else call in with a story that happened in the UK having to do with time travel that person, I was talking to them for a while and I was like, oh, well, do you live in that house anymore? No. Okay, great. So can you tell me what the address is? Because I don't want to dox anybody. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh yeah, it was on Church Road. And I was like, are you aware that the previous Time Travel UK episode we did involved a house on Church Road? And he was like, no, I had no idea. And it was in the same county as well as that original house and he had no idea. Hmm. It's, It's so weird how that stuff just seems to line up out of nowhere. 
And once yeah. you stumble on it, you're like, your kind of blood runs cold. And you're like, Ugh, I, don't, I don't know if I like this or not. Synchronicities are, are one of my favorite things to explore in, in the paranormal. Yeah. Well, it's funny you brought it back to Ventura because I'm going to do the same thing. But first, you'd mentioned that you liked local legends. So I dug up a local legend. This one isn't from California at all. It's actually from Alabama. And this is something we've covered before. We'll touch on it here post-call. But uh, first, allow me to bring in S from Indiana. Hi, this is S in uh, Indiana. I've just been listening to your show for a few weeks now and trying to listen to as much as I can. And uh, some of the stories about the Alabama white fang and the pale crawlers got me thinking that something I saw about five, six years ago could be related. I used to work at a prison in Alabama in the middle of nowhere. It was on the western end of Alabama. When I'm saying middle of nowhere, it took me an hour to get there one way. I didn't have cell reception most of the way, and there was nothing. You'd pass one gas station with a single pump, and that was it. But this thing that I saw, I saw it two, maybe three times. I'm not sure what this third sighting exactly was, but it was on a stretch of road where there's nothing at all, not even an abandoned barn in the distance. It was just fields and woods. And I come up, my lights shine up at night, shine on this large white dog-looking kind of thing. I described it as almost shaped like an Afghan hound, how they have kind of the long face and shaggy white fur. And this thing's just standing on the side of the road, facing towards the road. And once my headlights light it up, it just turns and looks at me, and its eyes don't reflect the light like an animal's does. It's almost human-like eyes. And it's on all fours, but something about its legs and joints weren't right. They didn't seem to bend correctly as if it was a dog. And I just sped past this thing, and I saw it twice in that same stretch of road. It's just standing there and just turns and looks at me. I couldn't pinpoint why its legs felt wrong until years later I saw online just a random picture comparing the anatomy of a dog skeleton to a human skeleton that's on all fours if it was trying to be a dog. And that's what it was. That's what it looked like, was as if a person was trying to be on all fours as if they were a dog. So like they had their back legs bent but were on their toes. And I was telling these stories to uh, some friends and my wife mentioned, she's like, oh yeah, didn't it hit your car too? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, that big white thing that hit your car and shook it, you know, wasn't that that cryptid or whatever? And I'm like, I never put that together. But part of the uh, drive, there's these super steep ditches along the side of the road that last for maybe like five minutes of the drive. And any animal would be dumb to try and jump across these ditches because they would fall and, you know, hurt themselves badly. But I was driving at night, and I just see... It's also thick woods 
on the other side of these ditches too. And I just see a huge white blur come from the woods and hit the passenger side of my car and shakes my car. And I have no idea what it was. I thought maybe a dog hit me or something or deer, not a dog. (laughs) So I'm freaking out thinking I have a dent in my car or something in that single gas pump gas station I mentioned earlier. I stopped at that as soon as I could because it was the only light around and got out and checked my car and there was nothing. No dents, no blood, scratches, nothing. So I don't know what could have hit my car hard enough to shake it like that, but leave no damage. But uh, thanks for all your hard work on the show and I won't keep you any longer. Thanks. Thanks, as for sharing. Now, Allie, have you ever heard of the Alabama white thing? I have not. This story was kind of reminding me of the Beast of Bray Road, which I know is in a different state. But this idea of like dog men or puppy people, I've definitely heard <laughs> that before. People, but yeah. I've never heard of the fang. What did you call it? The white fang of Alabama? Alabama white thang with a A. T-H-A-N-G. Because oh, the T-H-A-N-G. accent down there. Yeah. It, essentially, it's a Bigfoot, you know, a white Bigfoot type creature that's uh, eight foot oh, tall, really? 600 pounds. You know, it's just a huge creature. I probably have 10 calls about this particular legend from this area. No way. Yeah. It's wow. pretty popular. Now, let me ask you this question. Did you know that Ventura County has its own regional monster? No, I did not. Okay. Well, I'm about to educate you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. On the Billywhack Monster. Now, the Billywag story dates back to World War II. As the story goes, a tall, muscular, ape-like humanoid with long claws, gray hair, and ram-like horns on the top of its head lurks around the area of Santa Paula in Ventura County. This ram-headed monster calls the area, known as the Camelos Ranch, its home. Specifically, it's been encountered on Aliso Canyon Road and occasionally the Wheeler Canyon Road, near what was once the Billowack Darien Ranch. Some stories attribute the location of its nest as being closer to Wheeler Canyon Road, although most state that it lives in the Dairy and Ranch area specifically. Referred to as the Billywhack Monster, the creature has tormented mostly high school students from the Santa Paula High School. These teenagers are the primary people who have encountered the half-goat, half-man humanoid creature. It has thrown large 50-pound rocks at their cars, and even pounded on the hoods of their automobiles leaving dents. It has also been reported to carry around a large club. In the 1950s, a nine-year-old boy reported being attacked and clawed by a weird animal near the Billowack Dairy. The boy had scratches across his arms and his back. Another reference to the creature was in 1964 when it terrorized several hikers for several hours and thus made headlines in the local newspaper. Also in 1964... A Los Angeles Times article reported that deputies found a young boy carrying a sword off to slay the beast. The same article reports that a woman, who leased the land, once had to hold off 43 monster-seeking children with a shotgun until authorities arrived. Now, the Billowack Dairy, according to legend, is a decrepit ruin of what was once a state-of-the-art, very advanced and modern dairy farm. It apparently contains underground rooms and tunnels, but is also rumored to be missing walls, etc., which could be attributed to the many decades of disuse. 
The dairy was started up and run by August Rubel, who moved to Ventura County in 1922 and established the dairy in 1924. Rubel was once a native of Zurich, Switzerland. He served in the American Field Service in France from 1917 to 1919. The urban legend connects him to the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS. The OSS was the precursor to the Central Intelligence Agency. If the legend is true, the OSS had Reuben performing experiments beneath the dairy, including trying to make a super soldier. The Billowak monster is apparently a product of this research and experimentation that escaped to haunt the local area. Now that uh, information came courtesy of Weird California. Allie, what do you think? Have you ever heard of the Billywhack monster? Okay, this was blowing my mind because first of all, I think you mentioned Rancho Camulos and I've worked that land before. Um, So a lot of people maybe in the middle of the country might not be aware of how agriculture in California works, but for the most part, landowners and farmers are totally separate people. So farmers often lease the land and then farmers have to hire third-party labor companies to come in and work the land. So the farmer's job is to bring a crop up to maturity generally, and then they will have separate companies come in to ship it, to pick it. And so it's there's lots of different companies that can be working on one field at any given moment. And because of that, most people in a position like mine that is dealing with like human resources of field workers um, and safety of field workers, we travel to different ranches with the people, with the changing seasons. And I've worked on Rancho Camulos before. It's one of the oldest ranches. And I, this dairy you're talking about, there was a legend at my high school about it, but I didn't know that that's what the name was. We just called it Scary Dairy. And kids oh, wow. would dare each other to go up to Scary Dairy at night and like walk around in the dark. But I never went because I had big rule following energy in high school and I did not <laughs> want to be arrested because there are still parts of that area that are owned that people live in. And so they do call the cops if you're caught breaking in and kids used to go up there and like tag with, you know, spray mm-hmm. paint and graffiti and stuff. And I just never wanted to be involved in any of that. Cause my, my dad always told me if you ever get arrested, you're going to wait there. Cause I'm not bailing you out. You're going to wait there until the judge releases you until you serve your sentence, until you make bail, whatever it is, but I'm not bailing you out and I'm not going to pick you up. So Scared I never straight. wanted to do anything. <laughs> yeah. I never wanted to do anything to get in trouble. Um, but I've never heard of the Billy Whack monster. That is awesome. I'm definitely going to walk around and see if I can talk to any of the old timers next time I'm working a ranch in Santa Paula in Santa Paula and see if they've heard of this before. That's amazing. Well, if you uncover anything really cool, let me know. Uh, oh, I'd heard of this monster, but I didn't know a lot of these back uh, details, and I didn't necessarily know which part of Southern California it was associated with. But when you decided to do the show, I started digging in, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Oh, and I was so awesome. excited to have found that. Incredible. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's rare that I feel like I don't know something about my county. So this is awesome. I'm definitely going to ask around because you said a lot of the sightings seem like they're from the 50s. Is that what you said? Like there was a kid uh, with a sword. It seemed like the 60s actually was 60s. was the peak of, of a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, so there's definitely people I work with that would have been living in the county around that time. I'm going to ask around when I go into work on Monday. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'd love to dwell on the billywhack, but unfortunately, we don't have time for that. We have to move on to our next story. 
And this next one is right up your alley. I guess all of them are, but this one especially, because I happen to know for a fact I just did your show, uh, Let's Get Haunted, uh, right before we did this one, actually, and we talked about doppelgangers there, and you told me how much they freak you out and how unsettling they are to you. So, of course, I had to dig up a doppelganger story and share it with you. Amazing. I'm ready. So, if you will, please welcome Kelly from New York. Hey, Derek. This is Kelly from Long Island. I wanted to share a doppelganger story that occurred to me. These things kind of always pop up with me in these weird ways. This story really hit me in the core. So it was a summer day. My parents and I were in the pool hanging out. I decided to go in and start getting ready. I was going out that night. I'm in the bathroom and I'm taking off my nail polish. So I have the mirror in front of me and I can see behind me the staircase. And I saw my stepdad walk past me. And at that time, I was working for a nonprofit. And his company was saying they were going to give a donation and yada, yada. And so I, you know, said, oh, hey, you know, did you talk to whoever so-and-so about the donation? Are you guys going to be contributing? We'll have an event. And he didn't respond to me, which is weird. So I kind of peek my head out of the bathroom and I peek into, you know, my parents' bedroom. And I still see him standing, facing, but not directly facing the closet. Like it was definitely a weird positioning, but I could see the back of his head, clothing, and he's facing kind of like in between like the wall and the walking closet door. And so I'm just like, all right. And it's like, oh, like, you know, did you hear back from anything? You know, if not, I'd want you to come. And he doesn't respond, which is, again, not like my father. So I kind of just think maybe he's in a bad mood or whatever the case may be and continue taking off my nail polish. And all of a sudden I hear my mom and him talking and then I hear them coming up the stairs and I get completely like confused. I'm just like, well, what are you doing? And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I was just talking to you and you were ignoring me. And he was like, no, I wasn't. We're coming in from outside. And I was like, no, I was just talking to you. And my mom verifies, no, he was with me, you know, and we're coming in. And I'm just like, no, I was talking to you. And you went into the bedroom, you walked past me. And that's when all of a sudden just kind of it dawns on me. I never heard anybody coming up the stairs. I never heard any footsteps or anything like it. I just saw him in the reflection of the mirror and then saw the back of him facing the, you know, the corner slash closet door. And I just got so scared and I, maybe it's an intruder, I run into their bedroom and I'm looking in the closet, I'm looking in their bathroom, I'm looking everywhere and I'm like, I saw you, I spoke to you. And he was like, what I say? I was like, you didn't answer. And so it, it definitely freaked me out. It freaked my parents out because they could see that I was genuinely concerned and couldn't understand what just happened. Like I said, these things have always kind of popped up with me. Uh, not sure why. But uh, I just figured maybe it was time to share that one for some reason. So love the podcast, love what you do, and can't wait to hear your new episode next week. Take care. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, So, Allie, what is it about doppelgangers that freaks you out so much? Oh, man, I don't know if I can even pinpoint exactly what it is myself. I didn't know I was afraid of doppelgangers as a concept until we had a listener write in about their experience. I think it just scares me because for some reason, the idea of a doppelganger to me evokes this feeling of like an empty shell 
of a person or something imitating a person, even if that might not be the case, if I were to see somebody that I thought was my dad or that I thought was my brother or that I thought was my co-host, Nat, and I was talking to them and then it became clear it wasn't really them, that would terrify me more than any monster, more than any entity, spirit, whatever. That would scare me because it's the idea. You know what it is, I think? Maybe we've just stumbled onto why I'm afraid of this. Something about something that should be familiar and known and comforting turning into Mm. not what you thought it was. It's this idea of deception, I think, that makes me so uneasy. It's like the greatest deception. You're seeing something that should be safe, and then the rug is ripped out from under you, and you realize, wait, I wasn't talking to my dad. It's sort of like a Trojan horse where you're allowing something into your circle that you think is safe. And it's it's just maybe yes. not. We don't know. We don't know if it's safe or not. <laughs> yeah, I have the chills right now. Even just listening to that short clip you played, that just, ooh, it just gives me that like icky feeling in your stomach when the, it's like your stomach drops down to your toes and it takes you a minute to recover. It's 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 a betrayal. It's like a betrayal of trust by and by what? I don't know. I still don't fully understand what doppelgangers are, but I've read enough stories and heard enough stories from people to know that there is something. Like, it can't just be all of us mistaking, you know, a coat in a closet as a person. It's realer than that. It's it's more than just something that, that looks like someone you know. It, there's a, just a level that I don't understand that makes me uncomfortable. And this doppelganger was just staring at the wall next to a closet, it sounds Ooh. like. It was just yeah. not doing anything a human would normally do. Right. Yeah, it's, oh, God. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I would, if I, like, walked into my parents' bedroom and my dad was just staring at a closet, like, at a wall in a closet, unmoving and unspeaking, I might just, like, move out forever <laughs> if I was in that girl's position. How do you recover from that? I don't know. Imagine sleeping in that room or something, you know. A week later, just thinking about that thing standing there, whatever it is. Right. Because then you have to wonder, okay, a skeptic perspective is still scary because that means somebody that is imitating your dad broke into your house and was just in his closet. Or a non-skeptic theory, something was taking on the form of your dad or your dad has an evil twin or there was some sort of rip in the space-time continuum and a different iteration of your dad that lives in a parallel universe was visible for just a moment. Like, all of the explanations are bad. And I think that's why I hate <laughs> hate slash love doppelganger stories so much. When I did the show with you and that, uh, just before this, we talked about a doppelganger story that was called into your show or sent into your show. And I'd mentioned that I'd never or I couldn't recall a story about someone seeing their own doppelganger. Usually it's somebody else that they see. But that's exactly what took place in this story. And I'm not going to spoil it. If you want to hear it, go listen to the episode. Uh, I'll try to link it in the show notes if, if everything aligns. But that was pretty unsettling for me. You know, I hear a lot of doppelganger stories, but when you see your own doppelganger and the events that led up to that, that's when it got under my skin. That's that's when it became uh, not personal, I guess, but just... Uh, surreal. I, I don't I don't even yeah. know the word to use, but it, it affected me. 
I think there's also some element of uncanny valley, too, where you're yeah. looking at something that you think is supposed to be, yeah, familiar like a human, and then something about it just is not right. And actually, uh, to bring it back to Ventura, when I was in high school in Ventura, I would have multiple people come up to me throughout the day saying that they had seen me in a hallway that I definitely would not have been in. And I just figured there must be someone going to this high school that looks like me or looks enough like me from a distance to be confused with me. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, my friends, because many of them had seen this person throughout the hallway over the years of us attending this high school. And at the end of my senior year, we were going through all of the people that it could possibly be like going through the yearbook and nobody could pick out that person. And so I often wonder like, what was that about? Like, <laughs> what was up with that? Maybe it was me and I just didn't remember walking through the hallway and I just didn't respond to them when they called my name because I didn't hear them. Or maybe it was, I don't know, somebody that only looks like me in certain light and maybe their yearbook photo had a different hair color. I don't know. But I think about that all the time too. Like, what was up with that? Hmm. When I was in college, we, you know, as you do in college, we went to the bar a lot in the evening and there was a a guy that looked just like our buddy Scott and he would be at the bar every night. He'd really? just be there and he looked just like him. And we always like, hey, Scott, we're over here. We're over here. And he'd never come over. And eventually we figured it out. They're two different people. And then we kind of became buddies with the new guy, although we, we never learned his name. He was still Scott to us because he looked like our buddy Scott. <laughs> so, hey, Scott, and he'd just wave back to us. Uh, that wasn't a creepy example, but that was uh, incredible because they looked so much alike. And, oh, wow. and Scott even had some weird, like he had gray in hair, even in college. He was like 25 and he had gray, kind of gray hair. And this guy had gray hair and they were built the same. It was just really unsettling, I guess. Fun for a while, but also unsettling. That sounds definitely fun. I would love to have a beer with my doppelganger. And maybe this can be a call to action for the listeners. If if anybody listening thinks they know of somebody that looks like either myself or Derek, somehow get that information to us. I don't know how. Maybe go on to a, one of our social medias and, and let us know. Don't just show up at the door. <laughs> just, yeah, just don't yeah. do that. <laughs> I might just faint. <laughs> yeah. Don't show up on a field I'm working night shift on dressed as La Llorona. The, just send an email or something. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's move on to our last one. And since you guys host a podcast called Let's Get Haunted, I figured, well, why not do a story about a haunted house? And this Love one it. is my favorite type of haunted house story where it has some sort of confirmation at the end. And I mm -hmm. absolutely love those stories. So if you will, please welcome Zach from my home state where I grew up back in Ohio. Hi, Derek. My name is Zach. I live in Northeast Ohio. And this is a story of the ghost that haunts my parents' home and the reason why I believe in ghosts and know for a fact that they exist. When I was about seven or eight, me and my brother shared a room. We had bunk beds. I was a squirrely little kid and allowed to sleep on the top bunk, but didn't like the guardrails because I liked to be able to get up on either side of the bunk. So they took them off. One night, I must have rolled out of bed because I woke up and I was falling. However, I never hit the ground. I stopped and from what I could tell was maybe about an inch or two off the ground. And when I opened my eyes, above me was a man. He had kind of short cropped hair and a short trimmed beard. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't feel scared other than falling. But once I kind of processed what I was looking at and took a deep breath, 
I fell that last inch and hit the ground. And then behind me on the nightstand, the lava lamp that we used as a nightlight seemed to fail. The thickest part, you know, the lava lamps kind of have that conical shape. The widest part of it just cracked and it fell in on itself out of the blue. So I, I got back up with the bunk and went to sleep, told my parents in the morning, and we cleaned up the lava lamp. And the weird part was, and maybe this is just a lava lamp, but the nightstand and the floor underneath it even had a, a waxy residue. And it still does to this day. So I didn't think much about this haunting until probably about just two to three years ago, we were doing a family reunion and my great aunt kept this old world tradition of a death book, which is anytime she attended anyone's funeral, she would take a Polaroid picture of the person in their casket. Kind of strange and I find it a little bit creepy, but it is what it is. Well, we're going through this death book and I saw a picture of the face that I saw hovering above me. And I asked my, my aunt, I said, Auntie, who is this? Because there was no name or anything written underneath it. And she goes, oh, that's your Uncle Frank. And my mom goes, oh, yeah, we live in Uncle Frank's house. He built it back in the 60s and 70s. They say he used to own that land. It used to be the family farm. And I, I, I looked at my mom because I, I told her this story when I was a kid. I said, Ma, this is the face that I saw in the bedroom. And she turned about as pale as a ghost. So did I. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Ooh. I love that story. I, I love a confirmation. Oh, man, that is that is great because it's one of those things where the ex, you don't start off knowing whose face it is because I think those stories are easier to explain away because you could be like, well, of course, it was your uncle. You were best friends with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes sense. You were already associating that house with him. It makes sense that you would have had some sort of sleep disturbance where you think where your mind conjures up that familiar face. But in this case, it's the opposite. I love stories like that where something strange happens and only much, much later do you figure out what the connection is. How strange oh. it really was. <laughs> you thought yeah. it was strange before. Wait till three years later. Exactly. Ooh, and I love that so much time had passed too because it's not an example of something that was really in the forefront of this person's mind that they were trying to investigate every day. It's just the domino pieces or the clues fell into place over time. I love stories like that. I'm going to tell a quick story that I've already told on the mm-hmm. show, but this was five years ago, so I'm going to retell it here. Uh, essentially, this happened to a very close relative. I don't want to say how they're related or who they were just because – They were told not to share this story. So that's why I'm leaving it vague. But anyway, this person, right before I was born, uh, right around that time anyway, was painting a motorcycle inside, which you're not supposed to do because the fumes will knock you out and you'll likely die. So they're unknowingly painting the motorcycle and pass out. You know, they're blacked out from the fumes. The next thing they know, they wake up and a big man with a big beard grabs them and takes them out of the space and puts them in the open air outside and they come to and they wake up and the person says uh, never tell anybody about this this didn't happen Wow. and walked away and disappeared I've heard that story my whole life you know I've known that story my whole life and now looking back I compared to this person at least I'm a big person with a big beard I'm like wait a minute was it me am I that person am I the am I the ghost 
So I, I don't know. That's something that I always think about. Like, Ooh. we're talking about doppelgangers. We're talking about confirmation and all this stuff. And like, it's just sort of, maybe I'm drawing at straws. Maybe I'm making things up or making connections that shouldn't be bridged. But I can't help but think this, the description it gave is me. It sounds like me. Right. So I, I always thought that was interesting. Maybe you unknowingly, another topic I, I love that I still don't fully understand is astral projection. Yeah. But we once covered a story where somebody accidentally astrally projected and was seen by like multiple witnesses. And I don't quite remember how they figured out that's what had happened. I think years later they had gone to a psychic or something, if I'm remembering correctly. But the idea of like accidentally Doing something paranormal is also really interesting to me. So if it wasn't your doppelganger, maybe it was you. Maybe. I mean, if, if I had the opportunity to go back and save this person, 100% I would do it. So it makes sense. I mean, I would be that person if I had that ability. So I guess it all jives. Well, I I would like people to have a positive paranormal memory of me. Any any family, <laughs> I don't want them to be haunted by my doppelganger staring into a closet without Fair speaking. Enough. I would want them to remember me dragging them to safety during uh, something that could have harmed them. I feel like most people would want that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ellie, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here with us this evening. Time flew by going through these calls. But before we take off, please share how we can hear uh, Let's Get Haunted. Where do we tune in? When do we tune in? Uh, give us the details. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to your audience. Anybody who listened to this episode, I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time. Like you said, Derek, time really flew by. I could listen to your callers all day. I got a job for you if you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> hey, send me over the links. Get- yeah, I'll listen them down. Don't even worry about it. Anything Ventura related too. Those were so interesting. I can't wait on Monday at work to like subtly start asking around. Hey, has anyone heard of this? You guys remember Rancho Camulos? Anybody remember uh, maybe a Bigfoot like creature walking around at all? So I'll definitely if I find anything interesting out, I'll call in and I'll leave a voicemail. But if anyone's interested in tuning into our show, the format is a little different. Like I said, it's it's more of a chat. It's just Nat and I kind of shooting the shit, talking to each other, catching up, and then going in depth into uh, one story usually um, for about one or two hours each week. Our show airs at midnight on Wednesdays. That's midnight Pacific Standard Time since we're based in Los Angeles. And only for the month of October, we're also going to have extra bonus episodes coming out each Friday. They're going to be mini episodes that are just the first person tellings of some of our listeners that have written into us over the years. They're also calling in with their stories. So that might be a good starting point for anyone that wants to check us out that enjoys Monsters Among Us. Uh, but I really, really appreciate coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, go check out my episode. I was just with uh, you guys not that long ago. So I don't know when that's going to air, but uh, hopefully around the same time. Yeah, it'll be airing the third week of October. So if you're listening to this before the third week of October, just hang tight because it'll be out. It'll be worth it. We go over some pretty spooky stuff. Definitely. Thanks again. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this evening. Another big thanks to Allie Terry for taking the time to join us this evening. And be sure to go check out her program. Let's get on to it. But for now, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. 
Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. Be a lamb and follow us on social media. And while you're at it, join us on YouTube and give us a rate and review since you're already at the computer. Now finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.EG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Now there's no secret entry tonight, but there will be next week. But tune in after the break to learn how to become a Patreon supporter and access days worth of content, all for the price of a coffee. Well, I'll just tell you about it now. Visit patreon.com, search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Pledge your $1 or $5, depending on your level. And that's it. You're in. And you can even test drive it for free for seven days. And it goes without saying that you're helping to keep the lights on. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. I will catch you next week with the season 16 premiere. Until then, you keep it spooky. And have a good night.